I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Thanks for joining us again for this week's episode of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, coming at you live from Atlanta in recovery from the BB&T Atlanta Open, which was an amazing tournament with lots and lots of young talent. It was just a blast to watch. And I'm now switching gears and getting ready for our Saul Schwartz Save College Tennis All-In Tournament in Baltimore, August 12th and 13th. So we still have entries open for that event. If you have a junior player and you're in the Baltimore area and are looking for a great tournament to come play, I hope you'll sign up. The link to register for the Soul will be in the show notes. And as you all probably already know by now, we're using the net proceeds from the Saul Schwartz tournament to provide grants to college tennis programs at risk of being cut, hence the hashtag Save College Tennis. So even if you can't participate in one of our events, if you'd like to make a donation, that may be tax deductible. We are affiliated with a 501c3 now. Um, you can do that through Venmo or directly uh, you could send me a check, and if you are interested in doing that, please reach out to me via phone or email, and I'll give you the details on that. Um, so this week's show, we have with us Mark Springett, and Mark has a master's in sports psychology, and he has started a new company called Tour Level Program, and what they do is they consult with players, whether it's juniors or college players or pro players or players looking to transition between any of those platforms. And they work with the players on the court and off the court. So what Mark has done is he has assembled a team of experts, and the experts are covering everything from tennis fitness, nutrition, mental training, mindfulness, yoga, and recovery strategies, plus actual on-court coaching and mentorship opportunities. And it's a really cool idea. Um, They are based in SoCal in the L.A. area with a coach in San Diego and a coach in Texas as well. But they are working with players via Skype. So wherever you are in the world, you can take advantage of the experts that Mark has brought together. So I hope you enjoy this week's show. And again, if you are in the Baltimore area and looking for a tournament August 12th and 13th, we'd love to have you at the Sol. Uh, registration info will be in the show notes, as will all of the contact info for Mark Springett and Tour Level Program. Enjoy. Thanks for joining us again for this week's episode of the Parenting Aces podcast. We have with us this week Mark Springett, who is the founder and owner of Tour Level Player Development Program. It's a new program that Mark started in Southern California to help juniors, college players, pro players, everybody to do a better job out there in their tennis training and in their tennis performance. And, Mark, I'm going to bring you right in and let you talk a little bit about 
why you felt the need to start your company and how you feel like tour level is different from other groups that are out there. Yeah, well, hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, I want to uh, to just kind of help you understand that the program was designed um, because I really believe that tennis players need to have a a more balanced approach to their training. Um, often you'll see uh, players um, forego major parts of um, you know, the puzzle of uh, what would make up a complete player, um, nutrition, mental training, um, you know, potentially uh, yoga uh, for their flexibility, mindfulness training. There's just many parts that I think a lot of players don't necessarily spend much time on, um, if any. Yeah, for sure. And and you have a master's in sports psychology. You're a certified consultant with the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. So you come at this from the mental skills training side. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. So um, that's that's my uh, background, and and with that, I have been able to meet some wonderfully talented uh, experts in tennis training in different parts of the tennis training. Um, so that led me to create uh, Tour Level. Um, you know, we have some remarkable uh, people on the team um, that can help both with the off-court training, um, and we also have some on-court training opportunities currently in in LA, in uh, San Diego, and in McKinney, Texas. Uh, but that will be growing, and we are planning on having a high-performance coach in every state in the U.S. Uh, over the next uh, year or so. Well, before we get into the details of what your training includes, let's talk a little bit about who you've brought on board as part of your team because it's a pretty impressive list. Uh, yeah, uh, I have to agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> we have um, for tennis fitness, uh, we have Nathan and Giselle Martin. Um, they are based out in Sydney, Australia. Um, they do provide um, online uh, consultations and actually, um, you know, they've worked with Leighton Hewitt, Martina Navratilova, Sam Stozer, um, you know, the list of endless uh, who they've worked with and they bring a lot of experience in tennis fitness um, you know, to the program. Uh, we've got Jeff Rothschild as our uh, sports dietitian um, I know Jeff has been on your show a few times. Um, he has, I think he's worked with Mike Bryan and, and he works with a lot of um, promising uh, tennis players. Um, I do the mental training. I won't uh, give myself too many, uh, too many accolades. <laughs> oh, come on now. Come on, come on. <laughs> um, but I've worked with uh, a lot of the, the top juniors. I've, got a, I've had a couple that are in uh, you know, top 25 in the world. I've travelled to the Junior uh, US Open. Um, I've had players just recently been at Junior Wimbledon, and I've also been working with some pro circuit players and as high as sort of the, you know, the 500s in the world at the moment. Um, but uh, then we also have a mindfulness coach who deals specifically in tennis mindfulness, um, which really does help tennis players to be more 
present uh, when they're, you know, playing matches, not getting ahead of themselves or, or looking too far and dwelling on the past. Um, that's Neil Endicott, and he's based over in my home country or country of origin, uh, England. Um, again, this is all accessible via uh, Skype. Um, so, you know, with a little bit of uh, calculations on the time difference, um, all is well. Uh, we have another few people here to mention um, on the off-court training. Julia McCabe, she is a uh, world-class yoga instructor. She's out of Whistler, Canada, um, and she's worked with high-performance athletes um, uh, in Whistler, and uh, she brings a lot to the table. And then um, we have Dr. Ciara Capo, who is our um, recovery uh, specialist. Um, so she sort of rounds out the, the off-court training. And then for um, we also have mentorship uh, opportunities for both men's and women's for those that are you know looking to to kind of move along from progress from juniors potentially to professionals or juniors to college or college to professionals uh, we have guy fritz who is the uh the father of um rising star taylor fritz um, who will work with the boys and we've got angelica galvedon who was a top 30 player on the wca tour should be working with the girls um, and then the coaching uh, just to finish out here the coaching um, um, experts that we've got we've got Vince Fadia who was a top 20 player um, again Guy Fritz is going to help out for those in San Diego um, and Matt Hanlin out in Texas and Matt was a top 500 ATP tour player and a top coach I think he's worked with a lot of top juniors as well that rounds out our list at the moment. <laughs> Very cool. So if somebody is interested in working with y'all, is this something they do as a supplement to their existing coaching situation, or are you positioned to be the primary coaching for players? How does that work? Uh, yeah, it it technically could be both. Um, the main philosophy behind the program is that it would be supplementary. Uh, we're making the assumption that somebody that comes in and that is playing, you know, at the, the top junior events or playing collegiately um, or professionally, they have um, no doubt they have some form of coaching already. Um, but for those that want to really um, – you know, fully use the program, it would be self-sufficient. Um, as I mentioned, the, the actual on-court coaching, right now we have coaches in, in Los Angeles, San Diego, and in McKinney, Texas. So somebody that was located in those three uh, places, and obviously they could do the whole thing or someone that's willing to travel. Um, otherwise, we'd be assuming at this stage that you would have your own coach as well and that this would be supplementary. Got it. And so let's let's start off with, um, let's say, a junior player who is trying to get to that next level and they want to work with you guys um, with tour level. How would they – how would it look? Like they would reach out to you, obviously, and, and is there some sort of initial assessment or – 
Um, how, how do you determine what they need and which of your team they need to be working with? Yeah, um, I would um, recommend they give me a call or shoot me an email first uh, to get in touch. Um, uh, the number is on our website, but it's uh, 310-923-1856. Um, uh, info at tallevelprogram.com. Um, and then from there, I would uh, you know, work out um, what their current setup is and uh, discuss with them, introduce to them the options that they have. Um, and then I would introduce them to the uh, specific expert that um, they have interest in working with. And then once they've had an introductory talk with them, um, they would then decide on, on which options um, they want to take uh, with them. And I literally, I would set them off with a, a quick um, uh, contract um, and then and then they would be ready to get going. So uh, it's a pretty straightforward process, uh, but it's important that they do get to reach out to not only to me, but also to the, those that they're thinking about working with. Got it. And, you know, one of the things that jumps out at me that's so interesting about what you've included in your offerings is the recovery strategies. And I think that's a piece that often gets overlooked, especially for juniors and and even for college players, Um, you know, and and it's such a (laughs) crucial piece of the puzzle to stay injury-free and, you know, all of that. So, um, I thought that was when I first visited your website, that was kind of the first thing that jumped out to me as well. Wow, that's unique, you know, to, to really focus on teaching specific recovery strategies to these athletes. Mm. I mean, if you think about the tour players, you know, the top ones, they have a physio that travels on the team, um, you know, because the, the, again, I mentioned the balanced approach, and this is really, as I'm sure you, you, you're aware, you know, the actual recovery time, um, you know, especially in tournaments, is critical. Um, so somebody that's, that's, just as an example, someone that's taking an ice bath, um, which anyone can do. You don't have to have a video there for that. Um, but someone that's doing that against those lengths, um, they may well be just that little bit fresher going out there for the next, uh, next match. <clears throat> I think... You know, it makes sense to do it and to be very savvy on on how to get the most out of your recovery uh, and treat it almost as you know as part you know of of the um, the ongoing process of playing in in, in tournaments and matches. Right, right. I mean, it's interesting because the first time I had the opportunity to actually interview Taylor Fritz was at the Easter Bowl a couple years ago, and he he came straight from uh, an ITF event in China uh, where yeah. he, you know, he went to the very end of the event, flew however many gajillions of hours um, across oceans to get to Indian Wells in time, in time for his matches at the Easter Bowl. And I asked him about that. I was like, how, how do you get yourself ready for this tournament? And the first thing he said was, I the ice baths have saved me. You know, they they are the reason I'm continuing to progress in the tournament. And at that time, it, it, you know, it struck me as so interesting because 
he was really the first junior player that I had had the chance to talk with who specified that that was something he did on a regular basis. You know, most of the kids, you see them come off the court and they get something to eat and something to drink and hang out with their buddies and get on their phones. And you know, that's recovery for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why Taylor, you know, it's Taylor and he went on to do what he's done. He went on to win that tournament, didn't he? So, um, yes, he did. He, yeah, he, he absolutely, um, you know, he was ahead of the game, but I think, I think that, that awareness in recovery, I think it's growing in the junior circuit. I think people are becoming a bit more aware but again, whether they do ice baths, um, that's a different question. Um, yeah, and I'm sure there are some of them that do, though. Sure, sure. Well, so your area of expertise is the mental side of the game. And, you know, we've had over the years um, several experts on this podcast that have addressed that piece of tennis. And, as parents, we know that it's so crucial. And, you know, we used to joke, the parents I would be at the tournaments with, we would all joke, you know, well, which version of my kid is going to show up today? <laughs> it was just, mm. they should win this match if, if if that version shows up. But if the other version shows up, well, things could go south really quickly. And, you know, um, so as parents, I think we feel very, um kind of uninformed as a general rule about what we can and should be doing on the mental side of, of the game for our children. And you and I were talking off air about the fact that a lot of times we parents have great intentions, but we wind up undermining our children's efforts by saying the wrong thing at the wrong time or, um, you know, just not having the knowledge and the wherewithal to be effective in this arena. So let's uh, let's give you the opportunity to give us a little training today, since since we've got you trapped on the phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think firstly it's important to to know that every every player, every every junior, you know, they're all unique, and um, what works for one might be a different approach needed for another. Um, you know, uh, someone might like a lot of encouragement during a match, for example, um, and they might feel they really, you know, they really like that and they that, that energizes them. And others, they would prefer you to kind of flatline and, and preferably not even breathe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, um, because that might be giving a, a, a little body language away with the inhale and the exhale. But um, uh, I'm joking aside there, it's, it is, the body language is important because um, the, the connection between a parent and their, their child is so great that the slightest um, you know, negative body language uh, from watching from the side um, can actually, you can multiply that by thousands um, on the impact that that would have uh, on you know that child, and that's that's a tough gig right there for a lot of parents because uh, you know they care a lot about their child and about their performance, um, but it's so important to go in knowing what their child wants them, how they want them to be, um, 
And if, if they really can't deliver that, then, you know, there has to be a discussion about whether or not they should be sitting that closely, um, you know, to the court potentially. Some benefit from, you know, and some people I know do go into this anyway, they take a kind of a more of a, a backseat approach and get a little bit further away from the court um, where perhaps, the, you know, the player will be, they won't be necessarily so much in their eyesight. Um, so that's my sort of my main tip is just kind of being able to stay, keep calm and, um, you know, not to get too up or, you know, um, you know, often if you get too up, then you might get too down if uh, things start to kind of nosedive in the match uh, for a moment. Um, you know, so one of the worst things to do... said than done, Mark. So, I mean, do you, do you have some strategies that we parents can use to help kind of equalize our body language and our, our facial expressions? Because yeah. I think, you know, most of us, I, I would venture to say pretty much everybody that's in the Parenting Aces audience, we, we know what we're supposed to do. You know, we've yeah. read the articles and listened to the experts, and we know what we're supposed to do, but we still kind of stink at it sometimes. Yeah, um, in terms of a, of a quick kind of band-aid approach, um, it would be more just, just kind of breathing, taking a deep breath, um, just, you know, again, maybe try and do that when you're, your son or daughter is kind of facing the other way, but just to kind of control your own um, emotions. Um, but I think the, the most important thing is actually your whole approach to matches, because I've been around some extremely calm parents and, and in the most pressurized situations. Um, uh, and it, it actually is incredible how, how they can be. But I think if you look at it more in terms of development um, and process of, of seeing, you know, knowing that your child is a work in progress and that this is an, e- an evolution that they're going through um, and a development, um, rather than um, if somebody, for example, is, is living and dying by the result and gets really into the match, um, the actual match, you know, outcome, um, I think it's it's the same. I teach the same thing to the players. It's it's more, you know, if you can focus more on the process, you're less likely to get emotionally worked up, um, you know, during a match. Um, if you're much more sort of task task focused, if that makes sense. Sure, and I, you know, I write a lot about process over results, and you know that this is a journey and. And all of that, but as we know, the reality, at least in the United States with our junior tennis system, is the results do matter. You know, if you don't win, you don't move to the next round, you don't get the ranking points, you don't qualify for the next level of event, and, you know, things can either come to a standstill or even backslide pretty quickly. So it's it's a tough kind of negotiation that has to happen, right? It is, it is, and and the thing is, less is more. If you go in with that mindset that you just mentioned, then you know, uh, I mean, I had a parent that actually said to their child before every match, uh, every match counts, 
And they were saying it because of the fact of what you mentioned, that they felt that if they said that, then that would get the most out of their, their child um, to really mm. give it their best. But, of course, what it did is that it put a ton of pressure on their, their child. And, as do, and, and with that done, it obviously then paralyzed the child to perform. They were really tight. Um, so, so I say less is more because, yeah, you know, of course, it's great to keep moving forward in, in tournaments and it doesn't hurt for rankings and participation in the next tournament. Um, but ultimately, if you go in with that approach, it doesn't get you anywhere. So, so really, you have to go in um, kind of with your blinkers on and just really focus in on, on your process. So if you watch, it's the same with the top players in the world. If you watch someone like Nadal, when he's getting ready for a match, well, you couldn't tell whether it, it was the first round or the final of the slam. Um, you know, he has the same intensity. He goes out, he has the same routines, pre-match routine. You know, he does the same thing, um, you know, more than anybody, of course, but he does the same thing in between points on changeovers. Um, and he knows, and same with the cool down with the recovery. <clears throat> he knows that that's, that's how, and just focuses on one match at a time. And that's because he knows that's how he's going to get the most out of his performances. Um, so, Less is more because if you focus too much on the outcome, um, you won't get the desired outcome. Right. It's funny. So the BB&T Atlanta Open just finished uh, here in Atlanta yesterday, and the final was the singles final was John Isner, who played for University of Georgia, yeah. versus Ryan Harrison, who bypassed college and went directly to the pros at age 16. And um, I ran into Ryan's family before the match. And I grew up with Ryan's dad, so it's always kind of old home week to to run into them. But um, his mom said, I'm so nervous. And I said, really? Like, you still get nervous when he plays? I mean, she's been watching this young man play professionally for nine years, but then, you know, play at the highest level in the juniors for for however many, uh, 10, 11 years prior to that. So, I mean, she's been around this stuff for a very long time, and I, I thought it was so interesting to hear her say that she still gets nervous. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is, no doubt, it's, like people say it's harder to watch than it is to play in terms of the the nerves because you have um, you don't have any control over the performance um, or very little. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's um, really um, you know it can be challenging, but uh, it's still it's it's about um, I, I think I really think it's about the approach um, going into any tournament. Um, once you get to a tournament, I mean you can get caught up. <clears throat> In, especially in, on, on tour, I mean, you can get caught up with the big show. Um, but to be able to kind of just just uh, focus more on on that performance, um, you know, more than getting too caught up with the you know what's at stake, as it were, and thinking about you know the the uh, potential you know championship. That, that, that sort yeah. of really um, the best as I can kind of say it really. Yeah. Well, so let me ask you this: when you're working with 
a player, um, a, a junior player, for example, does it come up in your work with them about how they should communicate with their parents about what they want and need when they're on the court, even during training, and not necessarily just during tournament play? Is that part of what you work on with them is communicating those needs and helping them to understand? Absolutely. Um, you know, if, if there are challenges at that level, then, um, you know, there's two ways to, uh, to work through that and to find a solution. <clears throat> the first one is for me to role play with the player um, and, you know, they will... Um, you know, work out with me how you know what to say and how to say and how best to communicate that with our parents. The second option <clears throat> is for me to actually um, do a session with both uh, the parent, the parents, and uh, the player. And actually, there is a third option, um, which is I just simply talk with the parents. And sometimes I've done sessions just myself with the parents to help educate them more on some of the things that we've already touched on. Um, and, and that can include, um, you know, the communication during, like you mentioned, not just in matches, but also in training. Um, you know, some parents are, are more involved with the training. Um, see, at this point, I'm just mentioning in cases where they're not the coach themselves. I mean, then mm-hmm. if, you, if they're the coach, that's a whole different ball game. <laughs> if, sure. if, if the parent is also the coach. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we, we uh, you know it's then a, a question of making sure that there are boundaries in terms of um, really knowing when um, the coaching cap is on, as it were, or coaching hat, and when the, um, the the parent hat is on, and that's the biggest challenge for you know um, parent coaches. Um, and knowing when to kind of switch off the conversation uh, of, you know, tennis or of what happened in training or in the match, um, you know, and that's, that is a challenge for parents, the coaches, but obviously there's been a lot, a lot of examples of success where, where they've gone all the way. And, um, you know, um, so it's possible, it can be done, but it's a, it's a, again, it's a fine line. Uh, between a successful model and one that just puts too much of a strain on the the parent-child relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know, I think again, we parents, especially this audience, it, the intention is to do the best we can do you know, in, in every situation with our kids. I mean, that's, that's why people are bothering to listen to this or bothering to read any of the information on parentingaces.com is, you know, they're, they're, they want to learn, they want to do better. And, um, you know, but intention and action aren't always, (laughs) they don't always go hand in hand. And, uh, you know, I, and I think, as a parent, I know that when my son was in the juniors, one of my biggest challenges was helping him understand that I mean well. I, I don't always do the do or say the right thing, and and I, you know, mess up a lot. But 
my intentions are always honorable. And, you know, to help him understand that and to help him not get so frustrated with me when I did mess up was very challenging. And I suspect there are other parents that are facing that same type of challenge. Yeah, I actually, when I speak with with the juniors and I'm working with them, um, I do give them that perspective as well, um, that, you know, I'm sure the intention is always good. Um, you know, I've worked with um, some parents that, that are um, you know, extremely intense with it, but, you know, I could still see through that and, and see that, this was coming from a place where they felt that they were going to, it was going to help their child the most. Um, and, and that is the, the, the part of it is to help the, the player understand that, you know, to, to gain perspective. But then, you know, it's still really then putting some emphasis, um, but, well, on both, on both the, the way that um, a player, a junior interprets uh, things or where their focus is during a match. Um, you know, I like to encourage those that I work with that are playing matches to keep their eyes inside the court. Um, maybe play with their strings. Um, you know, just kind of really use focusing techniques to stay really focused within inside the court. But, um, you know, at the same time, you know, the parent also, if they can like you said, educate themselves on, on um, some things they can do just to kind of, of make sure, and again, check in with their, their child to make sure that's what they want from them. Um, and then, you know, you're going to get the most out of that situation. I feel like in, in recent podcasts, <laughs> several, several weeks now, um, everything seems to be coming back to the issue of communication between the parent and the player. And, you know, you're reinforcing that idea now, too, that, you know, it's very important that we parents have these conversations with our kids so that we understand what they feel they need and they understand where we're coming from when we're out there that, you know, for, for some families, this tennis gig is a huge financial burden. You know, they don't have unlimited financial means and I, you know, that, that their expectations, if they're making sacrifices as a family are maybe different from somebody where the financial burden isn't so great um, mm. or somebody that's got just one child is in a very different situation from a family where they're juggling two or more children's activities and interests. And so, you know, I, I, I just want to reiterate this whole idea, this whole notion of having these conversations with your children. And I wish I had done a better job of that. Um, I, I tended not to want to broach these topics for whatever reason. But, you know, in hindsight, I realize now that a lot of conflict could have been avoided if we had had these types of conversations in our home. And so I want to encourage those of you listening to, to take this ad, advice to heart that Mark's giving us, you know, to really have an understanding of what your child 
wants and needs from you as their parent on a day-to-day basis during training and, you know, during even during dinner time or, or driving to and from the courts. And then also, of course, during competition time. Absolutely. If I can add to that, um, I think having a proactive approach um, is the ideal way. So to actually um, you know, have that conversation before uh, a tournament during maybe a training block or in the training week leading up, um, you know, rather than trying to solve it right in the middle of the tournament, um, obviously. Um, and also the timing of any conversations about a match, for example, um, you know, when the player has come off the court, <clears throat> they need time to cool down. We talked about the ice bath uh, later on, but they, they also need time to hopefully they do a, a post-match routine and, um, you know, do a little uh, light jog and a little stretch and, and et cetera and, and really give themselves a chance to um, rehydrate and um, replenish. Um, you know, what I see... Very often, um, certainly at the, the, the junior tournaments, is the parking lot. It seems like mm. as soon as the player gets off, or even sooner than the parking lot, uh, um, as soon as the player gets off the court, there's this intense discussion about the match. Um, and, and again, the timing, if that conversation's had right there, um, you know, that's going to put a strain on the relationship. Um, I've seen children in tears behind a car uh, before um, with the parents berating their the performance. Um, so my encouragement is to let the dust settle a little bit, let them cool down. Um, and, and if you have a coach um, that you employ, then maybe you could pass on the feedback to the coach. And then the coach will be able to use that information and filter it. Um, that's one way that I that I um, advise, and, and if you work and you have a, a mental coach, then you can give that feedback to the mental coach, and they will also um, be able to, you know, to filter that information. Um, I could say exactly the same thing as the parent, and the the the, um, the player would actually take it on board and uh, be less likely to see it as um, criticism. Um, or I would rephrase it sometimes in a way that is, um, you know, very constructive. Um, and I think that when it's just straight after the match, sometimes obviously the emotions are, are up for everybody and uh, things aren't always delivered and communicated in, you know, the most tactful way. Um, so my, uh, and that's, that's natural when you think about it, if, it, if it's sort of the heat of the moment. That, that, that's some, some basic tips again on, on kind of how to maybe go about, you know, you know, using what you see in the match, but without actually, um, you know, it, it potentially decreasing your child's confidence, um, mm-hmm. which is what can happen if you if you jump on them straight after a match. And when you say right after a match, you're not. I, I noticed you didn't say after a loss. Because these same issues crop up after a win as well, right? Correct. Correct. Um, if you're performance-oriented, yes. 
Exactly. If you're outcome oriented, then you'll be more likely to to brush those things, sweep them under the carpet, and say, "Well done, great job, you won." And and that's why people say that you can learn more in defeat than you can in victory. Um, for for those that do that, but um, the professionals and those that that really know, they reflect on matches just the same. Uh, they ask two key questions, which is, "What did you do well?" And is there anything you'd want to do differently? Uh, they're the two questions that I always use when I reflect um, with my tennis players that I work with, um, you know, during a session after a tournament. Um, nothing negative um, about that. Um, I, right. I, I never say, what did you do wrong? <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah, interesting. And so kind of coming back to this whole idea of the recovery strategies that is a piece of what you offer, um, from the mental side, it sounds like you offer recovery strategies there as well, not just physical recovery strategies. Right. I mean, if you, you know, I mean, recovery physically is, is, uh, you know, much more obviously about the the uh, the body mending and, and healing, but the there is a mental recovery um, to matches, and the way that you interpret matches can have a tremendous impact on confidence um, and you know self-esteem. So it's really an important part of it is the post-match um, and knowing you know the right way to to go about that that process um you know i think the usta would say exactly the same thing i mean i have their, their player development um one of their player development journals right in front of me right now um and it mentions uh, those questions i i you know i was mentioning what to do well what would you do differently um in mm-hmm. their post-match reflection that they encourage all their players to do as well right um, so this is yeah, this is definitely this is really um, something that that the best players are doing. Um, but the, the role of the parent, um, again, if they're not the coach, I personally would recommend that they provide the feedback through a coach or mental coach. I, we just need to take the Wayne Bryan approach, which is when your kid comes off the ca- court, you say. Uh, do you want water or Gatorade, and do you want to go to Panera or McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> I, I and that's it. That and then you point. shut up. <laughs> but yeah, you don't say uh, another word. It, you know, yeah, I mean, again, maybe every child, you know, is different, as I said, and maybe – you know, maybe if there isn't any coach that's traveling, because not everyone has a travel coach, um, of course, um, and maybe they want to talk about it, but let them be the ones that bring that brings it up because that will give you the best clue as to the right timing if there is a conversation that, that needs to be had. Um, if they don't bring it up, then, you, you know, that's your cue to know that they actually would rather, you know, just have that, have a mum or dad uh, with them as opposed to, you know, dissecting the match with them right there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I do agree that, that you know, uh, you know, I, I think I think the most important thing is if the parent is um, 
is thinking about the, the development and thinking of it as a process, um, you know, that will help their, their son or daughter to be going about it in the same fashion because um, you need synergy with any team. And, and again, that's something bringing it back to the tour level player development program. You know, we all are going to, you know, we're a team that can collaborate. So there is synergy. And so if, if, you know, as a mental coach, if I'm teaching the player to be very much, you know, point by point and focused on the task at hand, um, if the parent is telling them, you know, this is a must win or this is a, a match that's very winnable, which you would think would give them confidence, but it, and it might do, but it's also laced with expectation. And, you know, uh, any expectation usually translates as pressure for the player. So if you have to be very careful, even um, saying something like, oh, yeah, you know, you should have this one. This one's, you know, um, it's a very winnable match for you. Um, you know, it could sabotage the the actual desired outcome in the end. Right. Well, tell me this. Do you agree or disagree with this statement that um, kind of getting back to the the post-match interaction between the parent and the player, um, outcome aside and uh, type of play aside, if a player has behaved poorly on the court, during the match, is it okay for the parent to address that immediately afterward, or what is your advice in that regard? I'm not talking uh, about play I now. I'm talking about exactly behavior. Mental. Yeah. Um, I would say that it's still, I mean, it, the only time that I would say that something has to be addressed straight away is if they have another match you know, coming up the same day, uh, an hour or an hour and a half later, because I know how sometimes the matches are squeezed in. Um, So something that would be learnable going into the next one. Um, But if there isn't another match, uh, and, um, you know, I think that, again, it's all about timing, because if you, they they, they probably know, um, chances are they know that they didn't, mentally they didn't, go from the right place and they didn't keep their control and they got frustrated and angry and what have you. But um, so, so I think even then, I think better to talk when both parties are um, feeling less emotional um, to that moment. Uh, when you've just come off a tennis court from a, from a match, you know, the emotions might still be running and you've probably sweated, you know, your way through a match and then to have that conversation is not going to be the best timing. Got it. So even then, even if it's a behavioral issue, um, your advice is to wait and do it later unless they're going straight into another round where you need to have the conversation so it's not repeated. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. The the only time that I, I would say I've done differently to that, I worked with a young tennis player who was I think uh, around 10 years old Um, and um, I was at the match and uh, the the something 
he missed one point, I think. That's probably how it starts uh, with the younger one sometimes. And, um, you know, it all broke loose on the court and he, he was, you know, hitting balls on, in, onto the fence and what have you. And I could tell that if he carried on that way, his performance was going to nosedive. So, um, uh, and this was a tough call, but I actually had the, um, the one of the officials, and I, I sort of knew most of them, but I had one of the officials just have a little word in their ear um, for the younger ones, you know, just to say, that you know that conduct isn't isn't um, you know uh, welcome and uh, shouldn't be had on the tennis court. Um, and actually, that helps the player calm down. <laughs> so that's the only really? time that I would. Yeah, that's the only time. Um, you know, I've not, not usually employed that tactic, but it, it's. I mean, it's the only time that I've actually done anything either during or, you know, unless it's unless they're. On the, you know, the oh, we there. lost you for um, a second there, Mark. Sorry, okay, sorry, we lost you there for a second. So, so you said the only time yeah. that you would do it, unless unless there are it's a split sets uh, situation uh-huh. where they get that three minute or ten minute um, time to speak with coaches, and I've given coaching at that time, and, and if emotions are a part of it, I might, as the mental coach, um, you know, give them remind them of of some techniques they can use to help them keep keep calm and keep cool. Um, you know, uh, and again, it, it, it just depends. If you've not got access to that mental coach at that time, um, and it's that commerce in the ISPIT sets, you could potentially, you know, if, if a coach isn't there, you're the only one there, you could say, um, you know, something like, um, you know, let's, let's uh, keep breathing and, and keep positive or something like that. But it's dangerous because, again, that is translated potentially as mum or dad are on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, and, and then it could create some more tension. So it's a very, um, it is a delicate um, thing to do uh, during the match. Um, and, and again, you know, in an ideal world, there is a coach um, there and then you just give the feedback to the coach. But if they're not there, um, then you know it really is case by case as to how you, you think. If you because if you had a, a child that's that's you know able to kind of take that as a positive um, you know helpful uh, tip, that's one thing. But if they have had a history of of feeling or reacting that whatever you say is kind of on them and gonna gonna, gonna if you think it's gonna upset them, then I wouldn't say it. Uh, at that point, gotcha. really, and it's all—it's gotcha. all a process. So you, you know, regardless <laughs> of what happens in, in the match, it's a process and it's a learnable moment. Um, so, you know, again, if you're so keen to kind of resolve it right there in that match, that tells me that this is more about that that tournament or that match than you know the whole development. Because I, I would almost, you know, that they say. Sometimes making the mistake is when you learn the most. Um, and maybe, you know, if they do implode on the court, that's the best debrief that you could get. Oh, I lost you again. So sorry. Right. If they do employ it on the court? Yes, yeah, sorry. If they do, if they do employ, implode on the court, maybe that is the best 
teachable moment for afterwards um, to really, you know, look at, well, look, so this is what, how you, this is what you did on in this match, and you can see, you know, that this isn't the way, this is not helping you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that, that having that approach is more of a developmental approach than somebody that was trying, you know, to solve it all uh, right there on the spot. Got it. Got it. Well, that makes a lot of sense. It, it feeds right into that whole idea of being process-oriented instead of outcome-oriented, and, and it's not just about the strokes and the movement and the fitness, but it's also about the mental side, and it's also about the parents and our process through all of this. Yeah, I always um, I always try to impart the, the importance of being having a balanced approach, as I mentioned at the start of the, the podcast, um, which is why I created Tool Level, um, because, you know, there is um, a real balance to the, the training program, and um, I think the mental training, and as you said, the, the, the parent education, which can be gained through um, both myself and also through the mentors, um, and um, with, you know, Guy Fritz, and uh, and Annika Galvedon, you know, to understand their role. Um, So I think there are certainly opportunities uh, for parents who are seeking education, um, you know, within our program. And I, you know, whether it was, whether they would choose to work with Tornell or or somewhere else, I would really encourage um, to get that right advice because it could be uh, prices. Um, to the development of a child, um, which is ultimately what I'm sure every parent wants. Absolutely. Well, that's the perfect way to end this conversation, Mark Springett. Thank you so much for being with us this week and sharing with us your great program, Tour Level Program, and we'll have Mark's contact information in the show notes, so if you want to reach out to him, the website and phone number and email will be in the notes, and you can check that out. And, uh, Mark, I just appreciate so much you taking the time to talk with us this week. Well, thank you very much, Lisa, for having me. Um, And uh, we also have a big uh, social media uh, campaign as well so you can find us um, on Instagram Twitter Facebook which I'm sure you'll put in your, your notes for everybody absolutely will do well thank you so much and uh, I look forward to meeting you in person I so before we went on the air I'll just say to my audience um, I found out that Mark and my daughter are actually neighbors in Los Angeles so <laughs> maybe I'll run into you out walking the dogs or something Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in again this week to the Parenting Aces podcast. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Mark Springett and that you'll check out his company, Tour Level Program. And uh, maybe you learned something this week. I don't know. You can share your thoughts in the comments on the uh, the podcast website, and we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you haven't done so already, we'd love for you to subscribe on iTunes or on uh, the, any of the podcast apps so that you don't miss any episodes of Parenting Aces. And if you're so inclined, leaving a review and a rating for us on iTunes is certainly most appreciated.
Have a great week, everybody, and we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, visit us online at parentingaces.com. As always, a huge thank you to our sponsor, tennisballs.com.